Section 7 of An Essay Concerning Human Understanding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Essay Concerning Human Understanding by John Locke. Section 7. Book 2. Of Ideas chapter one of ideas in general and their original part one one idea is the object of thinking every man being conscious to himself that he thinks and that which his mind is applied about whilst thinking being the ideas that are there it is past doubt that men have in their minds several ideas such as are those expressed by the words whiteness hardness sweetness thinking motion man elephant army drunkenness and others it is in the first place then to be inquired how he comes by them i know it is a received doctrine that men have native ideas and original characters stamped upon their minds in their very first being this opinion i have at large examined already and i suppose what i have said in the foregoing book will be much more easily admitted when i have shown whence the understanding may get all the ideas it has and by what ways and degrees they may come into the mind for which i shall appeal to every one's own observation and experience Two all ideas come from sensation or reflection let us then suppose the mind to be as we say white paper void of all characters without any ideas how come it to be furnished whence come it by that vast store which the busy and boundless fancy of man has painted on it with an almost endless variety whence has all its materials of reason and knowledge to this i answer in one word from experience in that all our knowledge is founded and from that it ultimately derives itself our observation employed either about external sensible objects or about internal operations of our minds perceived and reflected on by ourselves is that which supplies our understandings with all the materials of thinking these two are the fountains of knowledge from whence all the ideas we have or can naturally have do spring three the objects of sensation one source of ideas first our senses conversant about particular sensible objects do convey into the mind several distinct perception of things according to those various ways wherein those objects do affect them and thus we come by those ideas we have of yellow white heat cold soft hard bitter sweet and all those which we call sensible qualities which when i say the senses convey into the mind i mean they from external objects convey into the mind what produces there those perceptions this great source of most of the ideas we have depending wholly upon our senses and derived by them to the understanding i call sensation 
4. The operations of our minds, the other source of them. Secondly, the other fountain from which experience furnished the understanding with ideas is the perception of the operations of our own mind within us, as it is employed about the ideas it has got, which operations, when the soul comes to reflect on and consider, do furnish the understanding with another set of ideas, which could not be had from things without. And such a perception, thinking, doubting, believing, reasoning, knowing, willing, and all the different actings of our own minds, which we being conscious of and observing in ourselves, do from these receive into our understandings as distinct ideas as we do from our bodies affecting our senses. This source of ideas every man has wholly in himself, and though it be not sense, or having nothing to do with external objects, yet it is very like it, and might properly enough be called internal sense. But as I call the other sensation, so I call this reflection, the ideas it affords being such only as the mind gets by reflecting on its own operations within itself. By reflection then, in the following part of this discourse, I would be understood to mean that notice which the mind takes of its own operations and the manner of them by reason whereof there come to be ideas of these operations in the understanding these two i say namely external material things as the objects of sensation and the operations of our own minds within as the objects of reflection are to me the only originals from whence all our ideas take their beginnings the term operations here I use in a large sense as comprehending not barely the actions of the mind about its ideas, but some sort of passions arising sometimes from them, such as is the satisfaction or uneasiness arising from any thought. 5. All our ideas are of the one or of the other of these. The understanding seems to me not to have the least glimmering of any ideas which it doth not receive from these two external objects furnish the mind with the ideas of sensible qualities which are all those different perceptions they produce in us and the mind furnishes the understanding with the ideas of its own operations these when we have taken a full survey of them and their several modes and the compositions made out of them we shall find to contain all our whole stock of ideas, and that we have nothing in our minds which do not come in one of these two ways. Let any one examine his own thoughts and thoroughly search into his understanding, and then let him tell me whether all the original ideas he has there are any other than of the objects of his senses or of the operations of his mind considered as objects of his reflection and how great a mass of knowledge soever he imagines to be lodged there he will upon taking a strict view see that he has not any idea in his mind but what one of these two have imprinted though perhaps with infinite variety compounded and enlarged by the understanding as we shall see hereafter Six observable in children 
he that attentively considers the state of a child at his first coming into the world will have little reason to think him stored with plenty of ideas that are to be the matter of his future knowledge it is by degrees he comes to be furnished with them and though the ideas of obvious and familiar qualities imprinted themselves before the memory begins to keep a register of time or order yet it is often so late before some unusual qualities come in the way that there are few men that cannot recollect the beginning of their acquaintance with them and if it were worth while no doubt a child might be so ordered to have but a very few even of the ordinary ideas till he were grown up to a man but all that are born into the world being surrounded with bodies that perpetually and diversely affect them variety of ideas whether care be taken of it or not are imprinted on the minds of children light and colours are busy at hand everywhere when the eye is but opened sounds and some tangible qualities fail not to solicit their proper senses and force an entrance to the mind but yet i think it will be granted easily that if a child were kept in a place where he never saw any other but black and white till he were a man he would have no more ideas of scarlet or green that he that from his childhood never tasted an oyster or a pineapple has of those particular relishes seven men are differently furnished with these according to the different objects they converse with men then come to be furnished with fewer or more simple ideas from without according as the objects they converse with afford greater or lesser variety and from the operations of their minds within according as they more or less reflect on them for though he that contemplates the operations of his mind cannot but have plain and clear ideas of them yet unless he turns his thoughts that way and considers them attentively he will no more have clear and distinct ideas of all the operations of his mind and all that may be observed therein then he will have all the particular ideas of any landscape or of parts and motions of a clock who will not turn his eyes to it and with attention heed all the parts of it the picture or clock may be so placed that they may come in his way every day but yet he will have but a confused idea of all these parts they are made up of till he applies himself with attention to consider them each in particular eight ideas of reflection later because they need attention and hence we see the reason why it is pretty late before most children get ideas of operations of their own minds and some have not very clear or perfect idea of the greatest part of them all their lives because though they pass there continually yet like floating visions they make not deep impressions enough to leave in their mind clear distinct lasting ideas till the understanding turns inward upon itself reflects on its own operations and makes them the objects of its own contemplation children when they come first into it are surrounded with a world of new things which by constant solicitation of their senses draw the mind constantly to them forward to take notice of new and act to be delighted with a variety of changing objects 
thus the first years are usually employed and diverted in looking abroad men's business in them is to acquaint themselves with what is to be found without and so growing up in a constant attention to outward sensations seldom make any considerable reflection on what passes within them till they come to be of riper years and some scarce ever at all nine the soul begins to have ideas when it begins to perceive to ask at what time a man has first any ideas is to ask when he begins to perceive having ideas and perception being the same thing i know it is an opinion that the soul always thinks and that it has the actual perception of ideas in itself constantly as long as it exists and that actual thinking is as inseparable from the soul as actual extension is from the body which if true to inquire after the beginning of a man's ideas is same as to inquire after the beginning of his soul for by this account soul and its ideas as body and its extension will begin to exist both at the same time 10 the soul thinks not always for this wants proofs but whether the soul is supposed to exist antecedent to or coeval with or sometime after the first rudiments of organization or the beginnings of life in the body i leave to be disputed by those who have better thought of that matter i confess myself to have one of those dull souls that doth not perceive itself always to contemplate ideas nor can conceive it any more necessarily for the soul always has to think than for the body always has to move the perception of ideas being as i conceive to the soul what motion is to the body not its essence but one of its operations and therefore though thinking be supposed never so much the proper action of the soul yet it is not necessary to suppose that it should always be thinking always in action that perhaps is the privilege of the infinite author and the preserver of all things who never slumbers nor sleeps but is not competent to any finite being at least not to the soul of a man we know certainly by experience that we sometimes think and then draw this infallible consequence that there is something in us that has the power to think but whether that substance perpetually thinks or no we can be no further assured than the experience informs us for to say that actual thinking is essential to the soul and inseparable from it is to beg what is in question and not to prove it by reason which is necessary to be done if it not be a self evident proposition but whether this that the soul always thinks be a self evident proposition that everybody assents to at first hearing i appeal to mankind it is doubted whether i thought at all last night or no the question being about a matter of fact it is begging it to bring as a proof for it an hypothesis which is the very thing in dispute by which way one may prove anything and it is but supposing that all watches whilst the balance beats think and it is sufficiently proved and passed out that my watch thought all last night 
but he that would not deceive himself ought to build his hypothesis on the matter of fact and make it out by sensible experience and not to perceive on matter of fact because of his hypothesis that is because he supposes it to be so which way of proving amounts to this that i must necessarily think all last night because another supposes i always think though i myself cannot perceive that i always do so but men in love with their opinions may not only suppose what is in question but allege wrong matter of fact how else could any one make it an interference of mine that a thing is not because we are not sensible of it in our sleep i do not say there is no soul in a man because he is not sensible of it in his sleep but i do say he cannot think at any time waking or sleeping without being sensible of it our being sensible of it is not necessary to anything but our thoughts and to them it is and to them it always will be necessary till we can think without being conscious of it eleven it is not always conscious of it i grant that soul in a waking man is never without thought because it is a condition of being awake but whether sleeping without dreaming be not an affectation of the whole man mind as well as body may be worth as a waking man's consideration it being hard to conceive that anything should think and not be conscious of it if the soul doth think in sleeping man without being conscious of it i ask whether during such thinking it has any pleasure or pain or be capable of happiness or misery i am sure the man is not nor more than the bed or the earth he lies on for to be happy or miserable without being conscious of it seems to me utterly inconsistent and impossible for it be possible that the soul can whilst the body is sleeping have its thinking enjoyments and concerns its pleasures or pain apart which the man is not conscious of nor partakes in it is certain that socrates asleep and socrates awake is not the same person but his soul when he sleeps and the socrates the man consisting of body and soul while he is waking are two persons since waking socrates has no knowledge of or concernment for that happiness or misery of his soul which it enjoys alone by itself whilst he sleeps without perceiving anything of it nor more than he has for the happiness or misery of a man in the indies whom he knows not for if we take wholly away all consciousness of our actions and sensations especially of pleasure and pain and the concernment that accompanies it it will be hard to know wherein to place personal identity twelve if a sleeping man thinks without knowing it the sleeping and waking man are two persons the soul during sound sleep thinks say these men whilst it thinks and perceives it is capable certainly of those of delight or trouble as well as any other perceptions and it must necessarily be conscious of its own perceptions but it has all this apart the sleeping man it is plain is conscious of nothing of all this let us suppose then the soul of castor while he is sleeping retired from his body 
which is no impossible supposition for the men i have here to do with who so liberally allow life without a thinking soul to all other animals these men cannot then judge it impossible or a contradiction that the body should live without the soul nor that the soul should subsist and think or our perception even perception of happiness and misery without the body let us then i say suppose the soul of castor separated during a sleep from his body to think apart let us suppose too that it chooses for its scene of thinking the body of another man for example pollux who is sleeping without a soul for if castor's soul can think while castor is asleep what castor is never conscious of it is no matter what place it chooses to think in we have here then the bodies of two men with only one soul between them which we will suppose to sleep and wake by turns and the soul still thinking in the waking man whereof the sleeping man is never conscious has never the least perception i ask then whether castor and pollux thus with one soul between them which thinks and perceives in one what the other is never conscious of nor is concerned for are not two as distinct persons as castor and hercules or as socrates and plato were and whether one of them might not be very happy and the other very miserable just by the same reason they make the soul and the man two persons who make the soul think apart what the man is not conscious of for i suppose nobody will make identity of persons to consist in souls being united to the very same numerical particles of matter for if that be necessary to identity it will be impossible in that constant flux of particles of our bodies that any man should be the same person two days or two moments together thirteen impossible to convince those that sleep without dreaming that they think thus methinks every drowsy nod shakes their doctrine who teach that the soul is always thinking those at least who do at any time sleep without dreaming can never be convinced that their thoughts are sometimes for four hours busy without their knowing of it and if they are taken into the very act waked in the middle of the sleeping contemplation can give no matter of account of it end of section 7 read by lambda